Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Let oh, Me Talk. Uh, I am here, Callum Mayer, with my co-host Tom Wilson, as usual. And this time we have a returning guest on our show. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, um, sure. So I'm Felix, uh, a third year of studying bullshit, so like most of you. Naturally. Naturally. And um, yeah, I'm glad to be back. I was with these guys last year. We had a fantastic mm-hmm. conversation about all things weird and wonderful, and then realized we forgot to record. So. Sorry, what do you mean? I don't know what you mean, forgot to record. It's not like... Certain like party um, dropped the ball. No, it was it was a shame because it was such a good conversation that we it had was with you, Felix. And uh, yeah, it's a shame because um, I don't know if you remember, you met my dad. Like, I did, yeah, on that? just on Bell Street, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah. And he was like, he's continuously asking me, when is the episode with Felix coming out? Oh, and really? I didn't have the heart to tell him. Yeah, we, we fucking forgot to record it. Oh, so rough. I've brought you back on specifically through the request of my dad who Big wants fire. to hear you. Um, can, so, I, yeah. can, I, can I come clean about something? Can I, can I come clean? Um, yeah. So the episode was recorded. Oh. Um, it was recorded. However, the Star Archives mean that um, you have to download it within two weeks. I didn't download it within two weeks. No, bro, I feel you. So, like, um, it's all my fault. No, Tom- it's all, it's all I'm, uh, Felix. I, it's it's just all my fault. I'm there. You know, it's an issue. Um, before we start, do one of you guys, Callum, how well can you hear me on a scale of one to ten? Very well. And you're, you're kind of, I can, yeah, I can hear you fine. To be fair. Okay, yeah, could you turn me down just a notch on my ears? Because yeah, I can. It's very loud for me as well. Yeah. Sorry, listeners. Give us one sec. Uh, yeah, that's that... better for me. What about you, Count? It's a bit worse. Like, I'm trying my. Let's switch. Listeners, this is welcome to a live um, studio. Yeah. Okay, speak. Hello, hello. Yeah, I see the issue. Okay. You, see, you see what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Though. Keep talking. We're chilling. Yeah, anyway, um, we can just do like a little uh, reading week uh, summary. So, yeah. how, was, how was your reading week, Felix? My reading week was to? great, man. I think, like, uh, you know, to to feed into themes, I think, so. I think we're going to touch in later. Mine was just like keeping up, sort of basic discipline kind of vibes. Because like, I man, I love going on holiday, but uh, I <laughs> this is a me thing. I sometimes forget that I have mates because like I feel like I should have. When you have friends everywhere, you sort of forget that you have mates because like they're sort of everywhere, and, everywhere and nowhere is kind of the reality. So. um yeah, I just stayed here, had a great time, and, and did the same shit I always do, but with less pressure of scheduling. Mm-hmm. So in, in turn time, I'll get up at like between half six and half seven, and I'll hit, I'll hit the gym, and uh, I have to be out the gym by sort of anywhere between, I don't know, sort of, uh, depending on how early I get up, between 9.30 and 10. And that's pretty strict, because I need to then start work, and I've got shit to do. Mm-hmm. Reading week, I could do things, without the pressure of time. And I think that's a real blessing because St. Andrews is a really beautiful town and being able to spend time appreciating that. Like, as many of you know, we had Storm Babbitt, I think it was called. Um, And on the second day of break, we had clear blue skies in St. Andrews. And I I was working on an essay and I was like, fuck it, I've got time. I'm just going to go to the beach. Beautiful, really beautiful. And I just sat and loaded the waves and I was like, shit's fire. So just taking life in the same direction, but slightly in a slow lane, yeah. really appreciated that. I think that's an interesting uh, thought because 
I think we're all so caught up in like our daily lives and like what we're doing. We forget we live in this beautiful town sometimes. Mm. Yeah. You know, I forget that like at any point I can just go to a beach. We have a beach or, you know, there's a beautiful pier we can look out from. Like, I don't know. I just, I, I completely get that. And I can't remember the last time that I just went on a walk down the beach. Mm. It must have been like first year, like one, of, like maybe the first week or so. I mean, I, I, I've been trying to appreciate the town much more and like the idea of having a beach, for example, because I grew up with a beach on my doorstep, but it's only last winter so obviously like three years after leaving home, I mean, obviously still home, but three years after leaving home, that I realized I always stayed in. I never went out when I lived there constantly that I, I, I had this beach available. And I kind of really regret that part. So I feel like we got to make the most of what we have mm. in this town. Very. I mean, we've only got like four years here. I mean, two years left for me and a less few months. Like, yeah, a few months for you. So yeah. I think we need to definitely stop taking it for granted. But yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I, I definitely need to see more of the town. And sort of appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, fine. Felix, how is um from from one comedian to another, how's this comedy society been? Can you explain to us what yeah. your role is currently? I know yeah. you've had a bit of an updated role. Yeah, easy is the answer. And the role is host. Um if any of you guys know who I am, if you don't, I'm one boring motherfucker. And if you do, you know just how boring I really am. Uh but you know, so I, I host Comedy Society and it's pretty easy because um I don't use a script. I just go up on stage, get a microphone and chat shit and then leave. Um, and it's great. I think I'm one of those few people that enjoy attention. Like I'm made for stage. Um, partly because I think like, you know, it's funny. It's so funny. When you're in a wheelchair, like particularly as a child, you're the focus of so much attention. Everyone wants to have an opinion on you. You know, either you're an inspiration or you're something to be pitied. So I'm very much used to sort of being seen. You're you're very much a seen object, you know. I mean, <laughs> there's a classic meme I saw the other day. and It's like uh, four-year-olds when they see a kid with, you know, in a wheelchair. And it's like <laughs> just aggressively staring at them because it's abnormal, right? So I'm so used to being abnormal um, that... Some uh, attention isn't really an issue for me, you know. I remember yeah. sort of being four years old, and, um, but one of the legal obligations with uh, disability, if you go to a mainstream school, if you're a certain level of disabled, is you need a teacher assistant. And so they used to have to follow me in the loos. So I used to be naked in front of like random thirty-year-olds at like age four. And just you can't really give a fuck because I can't tell them to fuck off. They're legally obligated to be there. So it sounds like church. Yeah, exactly. Sounds like <laughs> fucking the priest fiddling my asshole. But anyway, we move on. Um, you know, it's just one of those things. <laughs> I like how like sounds like church pigs. Like, let me take that a step further. <laughs> I, I think that's a, an interesting point you make there. Do you do you feel like there's like you've harbored a certain level of like frustration that like you're saying you've only either been perceived as an inspiration or been pitied that you can't just be perceived. You know, it's funny when it's your life. Frustration is a wasted emotion because. Um, anger is a privilege, but but when when you, when it when it occurs so frequently, I can't spend my life being frustrated. That equals a shit life. Um, I think what it equates to is is mere acceptance. You know, you I, when something happens frequently enough, it becomes normalized, mm -hmm. and all that discomfort is is things that exist outside of your normal. Right, so. 
Um, it's so funny. I've had some crazy questions asked to me, like when I was in year nine, someone asked, does your penis work? Uh, and then, you know, another time I was like, oh yeah, I just went uh, and read a book and someone went, wait, you can read? And I'm like, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just, just, I think the frustration, if an able-bodied person was put in my situation, yeah, they'd be frustrated. But when you're used to being infantilized, you realize, so, so you, you gain perspective because it doesn't come from a bad place. It just comes from the fact of, you know, how many disabled people do you know outside of myself in a wheelchair at this university? Not in a wheelchair. I know one other. Yeah, not, I mean, not really, and no. invisible disabilities are a very key part. We can get on. Oh to no, later. I didn't. I didn't mean invisible, like very. Visible. But 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 that is a yeah. that is another part of the conversation. But yeah. I'm talking specifically visible because infantilization comes when people can see that you are because they and they act on yeah. what they see, um, and it comes from a good place. It just comes from the fact of I remember once this lady came up to me. I was in my local park, and I've never met her in my life. She just puts her hand on my shoulder. She goes. It's so good to see you outside. <laughs> that is actually like, that's so savage. I can't lie. That's, yeah. That's crazy. So you just get used to it. Uh, it's a case of, uh, you, uh, I guess my answer to your question is you embrace it, which is why I do things like stand-up comedy. It's not a case of, oh, this is ne- negative. Oh, so you're given something? How can I use it to my advantage? I'm, I'm aggressively, was always put in the center of as a child. Partly because I'm extroverted, partly because I was abnormal. How does that work in my favour? Because, because, uh, like all that negativity is, if you strip away the layers, if you strip away judgment, is absence, and absence is really important. You know, it's like, um, why do people swim in the North Sea? Because when they get really fucking cold, they realise, oh, it gives you clarity because you realise none, nothing else matters. Like I'm, I'm just chilling, I'm just breathing. It's like. In that sense, if we didn't have any negativity, then our life wouldn't be nearly as fulfilled. You need that absence to realize value. Mm -hmm. And uh, so how can I... I had that absence of being treated normally. Like, it just wasn't the case. Even at sports day, like I was given a special sports day and then everyone would watch my sports day. Kind of sucks, but also a case of, well, if I'm being watched, how can I make that my thing? Yeah. So you, you feel like you've sort of just accepted the attention that you get on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. I, I, and I think, you know, anyone that knows me in, in, in town knows that I'm a mild t- attention whore. You know, I'll speak <laughs> to anyone that breathes. I mean, that you can call that, I guess, uh, you can if you want to call it attention-seeking, I guess, is that's how you feel it. But I feel like with you, when people see you in town, you give the positive energy mm. just in general. It's just who you are. And when you say hi to everyone we're happy to say hi to you because we know, you know, it's not, it's someone we want to talk to because you make everyone's day a little better when you say hi to them. Yeah. Well, I remember the first time I met you, I think I was, I think I was with you, right? I think we were, I think the first time I've properly met you, I was mm. with Callum. Mm. And I was like, yeah, like you radiate positivity, which is a great thing. I can't remember the first time. When was the first time we met? We met. You know? I've, I feel like we met through, I always call her Bio Emily and she's not, she's just chemistry. That's where we met, of course, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But think, first year. Yeah, it was crazy. first year, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people say I radiate positivity. I don't. I radiate realism. Uh, and the reality is 
<laughs> particularly in St Andrews, we live in a very privileged society, and people are like, why are you so positive? Nah, I'm fucking not. <laughs> like, mate, if you take a second to real to think about what we have here, it's like we've won the lottery. The lottery. I don't think people quite clock this. No, this 100%. is so important. The lottery. Motherfuckers be going to bed. I'm not talking hundreds of thousands. I'm talking millions of people wanting to live the life that you live. The fact that we're in uni studying in academia is like fucking crazy. We're paying to be educated. I don't think people understand how much of a bubble the West is. And in that bubble, how much of a bubble St. Andrews is. It's like, and, the, and, the, and the beauty of, of being disabled is the fact that, mate, I can't fucking walk. And when that gets taken away from you, you realise, oh shit, mate, the things I need to make me happy are so small. Like, it was really funny. I remember someone asked me, hey, are you struggling with Storm Babbitt and all the winds and the shit? And I thought to myself, nah, not really. And, uh, and I thought, okay, why am I not struggling? It's because, like, my everyday life is as difficult as if there was a red category storm because the roads aren't made for me, the pavements aren't made for me, the cobbles aren't made for me. I'm, I have to run, or my equivalent of run, everywhere to get on time because I'm a slow motherfucker. And uh, and I think when you have those things, you realise, oh, okay, so I have what people would perceive as difficulties. If people had to run everywhere, if people had to like struggle to get up curbs and struggle to get up hills, they'd be like, oh my God, my life's so difficult. That's fucking not. It's just, it's just not as privileged as you're used to. And so when people meet me, they're like, oh my God, just stay positive. Now, I just, I've had enough difficulty to realize how blessed I am to have the privilege that I have. Motherfuckers be walking around here complaining about shit that doesn't really matter. I'm like, okay, you've got a complicated relationship with someone. If they're, sorry, excuse my language, but if they're a bastard, you kick them out. That's it's a matter. thing I've heard and let me talk. I know, I know. You know. <laughs> Feel free to use any language you wish. Okay. Let me talk. If they're a bitch, kick them out. Yeah. It's not that simple. What's holding you back is your own self perception. It's the fact that you don't have enough self-confidence to set boundaries and be like, nah, it's not fucking okay. Fuck off. It's as simple as it gets. If you don't like something, fix it. And, like, the real suffering of life is shit that you can't fix. Like, my brother was in A&E for, like, a month last year. And we, I remember my dad ringing me and being like, well, we think he's going to pass away. And I was waiting on the phone call to, to for my dad to hear that he'd <coughs> cucked it. And... um that's when you realise, mate, we waste so much of our time worrying about just pointless shit. Only thing that matters is your health, your ability to walk, see, hear. Take a moment to appreciate the fact we can hear what's in these headphones and your loved ones. If you've got that, you're fucking chilling. How long do you think it took you to come to terms with this? Like what you're saying right now? Mm. Like, oh my God. How God. long did it take you to develop this belief? The, oh, pff, long, long. Um, there's a difference between develop and believe. So develop, I mean, I remember, I mean, my parents, but they didn't take any shit. I remember I was about, God, I must have been about four. And I we moved to a new house and I was sat at the bottom of the stairs. And basically before the age of 10, I was pretty severely disabled. Uh, I had an operation when I was 10, which very much changed my life. But um, before that, very much wheelchair bound and for the listeners that don't know what i mean by wheelchair bound is i ain't getting out that chair i'm stuck in there 
And so age four, pretty bad. You know, I had use of my upper limbs, but lower half was fucked. And I remember looking at my dad and my bedroom was up two flights upstairs. And I'm like, I'm looking at my dad, I'm like, yeah, four or five. And I go, yeah, daddy at that point. That's why I go, daddy, I can't do this. And he just is at the top of the stairs and he's like, I'm going to wait here till you do this. And so I think it was a case of my parents just, <laughs> frankly, just pushing me to, uh, making me challenge. You appreciate that? Yeah. Oh my God. Like, yeah. 100%. Because the greatest gift you can have is independence. And the biggest hurt you can cause to somebody is taking away their independence. Parents, and this is controversial, and listeners can feel free to clap back at this, but parents that limit their children's independence because they want them to avoid suffering are doing them such a great disservice because, fact of the matter is, we're all going to suffer, like, yeah, boo-hoo, shit's going to happen, you know. But having the independence and the freedom to deal with that is so much more important. You know, like, I wouldn't, I'll, I'll be honest with you guys, if it wasn't for my parents. I remember when I was 10, the operation I got was an experimental treatment that wasn't funded by the NHS. And my physio at the time looked my mum straight in the eyes and she goes, there's a 50-50 split that, the operation would make me more dis- well, 50 might be a bit extreme but forgive me for percentages maybe 70 30 that the operation would make me more disabled that would turn me into some Stephen Hawking looking motherfucker um you know uh, and the visio goes to my mum like bro you can't do this like it's not been trialed if it fucks up your child is screwed and my mum goes nah <laughs> you know we're gonna, I, I had to fly up. We we did a GoFundMe or the equivalent of a GoFundMe in 2010 to raise money for it. And so, yeah, lots of people donated, which I'm grateful for to this day and flew me out there. But without that operation, importantly, without that, my parents' support, my parents' discipline, I wouldn't be here. How did the operation change your life? Uh, yeah, no, great. So basically... I have a disability called cerebral palsy, which is usually caused by premature birth. And mine was sort of hemorrhage in the left side of my frontal lobe, which is when a blood clot, uh, blood clotted in my brain um, because the doctors fucked up, essentially. Um, really? Is that? Is that? Yeah. So because I, I was born, uh, it's a boring story, but I was, I was born three and a half months early. So I, there was no room at the inn. Some Jesus level shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to be born at this rather... Uh, like London has a uh, an interesting healthcare system, and uh, I was born in this like less equipped hospital, and uh, yeah, they let too much oxygen get to my brain, so I started swelling in and like pressing into my skull. So like part of my blood clotted, and then we had an explosion in the left side of my frontal lobe, um, and that fucked up the neural messaging. Now for the neuroscientists listening, you'll know. And for those that aren't, I'll tell you, the neural messages going from brain to body are too quick to cut. They're like this. But neural messages going down spine are a lot quicker. So uh, a lot slower, sorry. So what they did is they tested for the most, and I'm using this as a medical term, not as a derogatory one, but they tested for the most spastic nerve endings in my spine. And what they did is they went in and they cut them. 
Now, the interesting thing is you can only have, it's called selective dorsal rhizotomy, if any of you want to look it up. You can only have SDR below the age of 10 because to cut, they have to remove a piece of your spine because it dies. So you can only have it below a certain age. So I was very, very lucky that it come out when I was still that young. Um, and what it did was it very much freed up my legs. So I can't show you because I'm on the opposite end of the table, but um, my legs were fucked. I, I had an operation swiftly afterwards to lengthen my hamstrings because they were so short. And for about a month afterwards, I had to wear leg braces. And I remember sitting in front of the TV in America, just sitting with my legs out and, and crying my eyes out because I was in so much pain simply by sitting straight with my legs out because they were that tight and because they'd never been stretched to that degree. Like That's the level of spastic we're talking. They were like, uh, imagine Quasimodo and we're talking that. Um, so what it did is it gave me the ability to lengthen and stretch and make them somewhat normal, uh, which then, like, again, listeners can't see, but my wheelchair sat probably, I don't know, maybe a third of a foot away from me, and I transferred out the wheelchair into my seat. Now, pre-op, I would have had to get Tom or Callum to help me out because I didn't have the fine motor control to move my legs because they were just, again, listeners can't see, but my legs are like this now, so so they're, they're less spastic right now. For the listeners, my hands is open. Beforehand, they were like this, and they constantly... Like this, I can't move because I'm just spasming the whole time. Is it um, is it the muscle itself kind of like, yeah. like o- always working? Is that correct? Always or? working, but also just like getting the wrong messages. I see. Okay. So it's like I'll tell it. To, so I'll give an example like <laughs> um, like I'll, I go to the gym a lot. So I'll be shaking a protein shake and my butt will clench. Mm. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> But it's because the neural messages are fucked. So my brain will get confused and like bits of my body will just go. And so when I'm trying to move my legs, my whole body goes. Or beforehand would go like this. And then I can't move because I'm like in stasis. Um, so that was the main thing for me. Um, and, and like, mate, I'm, I'm privileged. For those of you that don't know me, I'm an upper class white male. I'm in the best position that I could have been in for disability. Best position. I mean, my my dad was was bankrupt at the time, but like, you know, we've been very lucky and he's managed to make some money back. But I've been so much more fortunate than 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 thousands of people with disability because intersectionality is a real thing. Disability is fucking expensive. I was looking. And I'll say this, and then let you guys get get a word in. But no, I, it's it's, it's de- de- genuinely it's it's there's a reason you're a guest. We're here as hosts. Yeah, carry well, on. Thank you. But I was looking to 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 get away for the week because um, I just wanted some time to chill. You know, everyone knows what Saint Andrews is like, and I wanted some time to myself. And I was looking on Airbnb and on Booking. I haven't looked on Booking dot com yet, but I was looking on Airbnb and. All the quote-unquote accessible places, either, and they, they weren't even... I'm not saying they were made for disabled people. 
it was shit that I could make work, not shit that was made for me, which is an important distinction. Mm. Um, was like over a hundred pounds a night. Yeah, because the shit that's cheap is like a caravan upstairs, camping. I can't set up a tent by myself, so it's a case of. Being disabled is spenny. Like, I remember I went to Copenhagen last summer and um, I, I I booked a non-disabled room because the disabled room was more expensive. And I was it was this, like eight-bed dormitory and I remember, like, shoving myself into the shower. Uh, it was really small and, like, it was difficult to use. Now, I'm not complaining because that's not... I'm I'm privileged to be able to go to Copenhagen. I had, a, I had a wonderful time anyway. But what I'm trying to highlight is things intersect. If I didn't have... I mean, I try to be cheap now because I'm going to have to... When I buy a house, I'm going to have to adapt it. and all, That's going to be really expensive. But um, some people are disabled and don't have the money to make their life easier. They're just going to struggle. You know, people will be like, oh, I'm just going camping on the Isle of Iona. Now, I could probably do that because I'll make it work and I have great friends. But, like, lots of disabled people can't. And, like, if they want to go traveling, it will cost them, like, at least double. Do you consider yourself an independent person? Oh, yeah. I mean, it depends who you're comparing me to. It depends how you define independence. Like, uh, I guess in comparison to... Maybe yourself, maybe four years ago, five years ago. Yeah, yeah, 100%. In what ways? Um, God, man, I remember four or five years ago, I, was, I went to military school, and I remember... When you say military school, when you say military school, do you mean, uh, a, like, can you explain that? As like, what do you mean A by concept, that? yeah. So um, we can't have military school as the listeners will be thinking of it, because Ofsted, Ofsted is the um, governing body that makes sure that children are being well taken care of, that education standards are being met, you know, etc. Um, we can't have military school in the sense that everyone's dressing up in, you know, their sort of, their uniform and marching and all that shit. But it was essentially like a feeder school for Sandhurst, so... Um, oh, I see. So, do so you say military school? You mean like like school, like schooling? No, yeah, like, yeah, like a like, school, like a Sandhurst like actual or, school. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you go to military school, then go to Sandhurst. Right. And I remember four or five years ago, um, it was an interesting time. It, it's very interesting because it, it, it sort of when banter, when bullying is disguised as banter, it's very hard to distinguish. But they used to. Um, I, I know what you mean by that. I, yeah, I, I get. I get yeah, that. You understand yes. what I mean? Yeah. So. Um, again, for the listeners that don't know me and for, for Callum and Tom, so they can see, you can, I have two handles sticking out my wheelchair that you can see handlebars that someone would push me with. Yes. You can see those. So what they used to do is they used to grab the handlebars and then you have the bed frame and the bed mattress and they'd shove the handlebars in between the bed frame and the bed mattress and they'd leave me there and go to lunch and it was a really, frankly, quite smart move because... Because I was suspended halfway through, I couldn't get out because I couldn't chuck myself out of the chair because I didn't have the torsion. And I couldn't free myself because I can't reach to grab the handles. And that was four or five years ago. And 
I've always been more confident in myself just because I've had to, I've had to be. Because, you know, I grew up in a very able-bodied family and I, I've never met anyone in a wheelchair my age. So I just had to deal with it on my own. But I remember coming to uni and just being shocked because no one called me Spaz. And I was like, that's wild. You know, that's what, that was my nickname in school. Um, so just to have that experience and frankly, t- to be well-liked, was it a, a very? I think I was well liked in school, but to be explicitly, I guess what, what to, not to be arrogant, but to what one would call popular was was weird, uh, and that gave me a lot more independence and and confidence and yeah. You said you you didn't know anyone uh, like any any other disabled people growing mm. up. Mm. How how is your relationship with the disabled community now? Has it changed? Oh my god, no, not at all. Nah, I still don't know anyone. Uh, uh, great, great question. Uh, to be honest with you, I think um, I'm still dealing with a fair form of internalized ableism. I just hate people that bitch. And like, <laughs> you know, I I think that like, for me, I mean, disability has been such an interesting ride. I remember, so I, I, I grew up in a military family and uh, as the listeners, and I'm sure Tom and Callum can imagine, like, Military is all about you have a problem, you fucking smash through it. You know, you just crack on. And I remember getting to the age of 17 and I had really bad anxiety. And I was like, oh, where's this coming from? I realized I'd never clocked how disability had affected me. And like 17, I'm 21 now. 17 to 21 has been realizing the shit that it impacts you because there's quite, quite a lot of heavy shit behind it. But even now, it's like disability forms me, but... I'm a badass bitch. Disability is just a part of me. And I think the, the, the struggle I find is that I haven't put any effort into this for the listeners. I haven't tried, I haven't seeked. So that's on me. But as of now, I've yet to meet disabled people that want to thrive, that want to excel. Do you think... Um that you could be a role model for younger people oh, who are in a similar situation. A hundred percent. What would you what would you tell them? That it's gonna be shit. Facts. It's gonna be shit. But just gotta embrace that, bro. It's a case of that'll make you great. That'll make you great because while other people the the most important growth has to be externally forced. You're not going to push yourself towards growth unless life makes you. You know, and you might when you're older, but certainly not when you're young. And it's a case of what does that teach you, man? It's like the, there's so much that disability teaches you about life that people aren't embracing is like embrace the difficulty and depending on what age you are you know I remember being a young boy and you're not going to be able to talk to your friends about it because they're too young to understand it and you're too young to understand what's going on and at least in this generation parents aren't equipped to deal with it and neither are the older generation so you're going to be on your own I mean it's gotten a lot better but my experience is very alone. 
So I'm just using that as the baseline. But put it towards something. You know, if you're feeling shit, it's like, don't let yourself be defined by the people. It's like, most other people are lazy motherfuckers. They're just giving you their opinion because that's what they would do in your situation. But they're not in your situation. You're in your situation. And if you don't like it, fucking change it. You know, because no one's coming to help you out. You know, it's it's so funny. People would always be like, oh, let me give you a hand. Let me help you. And I'd say no. And they'd be like, why are you being so stubborn? Because when I need you, Mm. you're not going to be there. Yeah. It's about, is it also about being like, being you, you are your own person. Yeah. Being independent, as you said before. Being independent. And it's a case of like, if you always help me up a hill. Yeah. And you're not there and I need to get up a hill. Where are you? I can't expect you to be there all the time. I don't want you to be there all the time because I want to have my own life. So you, you've you got to develop that self-confidence. I think if you are disabled and you're young, you got to think, write a list of what do you want? Yeah. Fuck the disability. What, what do you want? Write that list and then think about how am I going to get there? Because the the thing about a life easily lived is you don't have to think about what you want because things come to you so naturally that you never have to ask that question. Mm. It's only when you face difficulty that you're like, oh, do I actually enjoy what I'm doing? Then it causes you to second guess. But the beauty of disability is we second guess earlier. So when you're second guessing, think, oh, fuck. What do I want? How can I align myself towards this? It's like, even if your mate Stephen Hawking's is as clapped as you can get, man, we're still a G, you know? So it's going to be shit. It's going to be shit, but it doesn't mean you can't live a good life. If, if I can just bring it back to uh, stand-up comedy. Yeah. And your role with that. Mm. And Sorry from, for the rambling. No, no, but it's, it's very much linked. And, you know, for, from one performer to another, mm. do you, have you found that with stand-up, that you or sit down yeah or sit down <laughs> sit down with sit down comedy <laughs> have you found that it's like you when you're doing it you get lost in it like it's not just that you like it but that you get lost in it that like it's it's you don't have any other barriers and i also don't mean that just in your situation mm. like with me i've i'm also on i mean i'm on disabilities list the more non-visible yeah. one and i've also had huge mental health struggles yeah. to a point where I've pretty much almost left the union numerous times yeah. but when I'm on stage like especially with Mirth and we have a show and even if the show's not fantastic but the show's going I'm lost in it and there's no other worries there's no there's no even if after the show I may be horrible and I may be incredibly depressed when I'm performing like that's me that's yeah. what I'm do you feel that like with, with stand have you felt that like but yeah. also, how have you gone into stand-up is another question. But we'll get into that after this. Yeah, I think... Um, yeah. I, I I think the biggest thing for me was... Uh, I, I spoke at Buckingham Palace uh, last year. Sorry, sorry. Th- sorry, just drop that in. You spoke at Buckingham Palace? Yeah, yeah. Kind of just like casually so drop just drops it. Well, this is one of those things, isn't it? Um, I spoke at the Union Staff Awards. Same shit. First, close <laughs> enough. Um, and I remember... I remember uh, this is relevant to what you say about stand-up comedy because when you say, when you get lost in it, it's like I very much, 
I get a high from, you know, people talk about academic validation. I don't really have that. But what I do have is social validation. I think it comes from the dichotomy from being bullied in secondary school and yeah, coming home and everyone being like, oh my God, you're so great. So I was confused and I'm still looking. I mean, I've I've got control of it now. I'm aware of it. But I'm still looking for that people to say, you're the fucking shit. And so when you're on stand-up comedy and everyone's laughing at you, they're like, yeah, you're the best. You know, that does maybe not get lost in it, but it gives you, it takes you outside of those insecurities. I think there's a difference between traumatized you and real you. And stand-up comedy, public speaking, they connect me with the man who I am, who I could be, not the man who I think I am, who's influenced by uh, fucked up thought patterns. Is it? Is it, do you find like, um, I, I've, I've, so I think, but feel free to say you, you, you disagree. Mm. That when you're used to being, and I mean, I also had issues at school. But yeah, yeah. That when uh, you're used yeah. to being laughed at, that yeah. when you make people laugh with you, yeah, it's such like a massive difference, and it hits. Yeah, because people are, are, <laughs> right in the sake of sounding communist, they're like comrades. Yeah. It's belonging. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I think, um, you know what you were saying about, about reading week? Um, you were saying, like, you, you know, you, you sort of thrive on this tension. I mean, every time I see you, I can barely get a word in because there's so many people surrounding you. But then you also said that you didn't go anywhere on reading week. No. Um, I think it was quite interesting. You said that you felt you had so many friends... In a, in, a, in, a, in a way, too many. Yeah, um, 100%. How how does that make you feel? Like, how does that happen? Uh, mate, I think it happens very simply. I think it happens from a case of... Um, I was quite lonely growing up. I didn't realise at the time, but I'm a flectrum, right? So, imagine you're starving. What do you do when you're really hungry and you come back from a run? Or you come back from a workout? Just... You're starving. Someone puts a f- plate of food in front of you. How much are you eating? How quickly are you eating? Just give me a quick fire response. I show up five minutes, that shit's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Same shit with socializing. So when you've been starved of connection for a long period of your life, I think it first 18 years of my life, I remember I lived in the Galapagos after uni, after school, sorry. That was the first time I, I lived with a, a group of people in this sort of commune. And we went island traveling. And it was the first time that I was made to not feel like a burden. Like I was like, hey, can you help me with this? And people went like, oh, for fuck's sake. You know? And they didn't say that in school, but it was more the way they do things, right? Just felt like that in school. Maybe because I was insecure, but I also think because they were kind of young and dickheads. So, you know, I come to uni and suddenly people are mature enough to connect with me, and I, I just get on with people so well. I just go fucking mad. It's like an all-you-can-eat buffet, you know. Just, I, I, and I, it's not just because I'm disabled. It's also my natural nature. I just connect with people. Yeah. Quick. That's why I meant earlier as well. When like when to positive, that's also that that call like connection. It's not just about like a positive influence. It's that you connect with you. You connect with anyone. Doesn't. Hmm regardless of disability or not, that's just who you are. Mm. True, but I think there's something to be said uh, you know, about that. Like, 
you, you say you can connect with anyone. Yes. But realistically, can can anyone connect with that a many amount of people? No. You know what I mean, I feel like um, people that say they have you know fifty, sixty, seventy friends. Yeah. That's not true. I think so true. Um, may, maybe it depends on your definition of what a friend is, but mm-hmm. um, I think it's important to to have maybe ten, maybe less, mm. less than that. Um, you know, to build like a strong circle because yeah. it's all well and good. You get on with. Like people just get on with everyone, that's like that's a great trait to have. Mm. But it's also about building those mm. connections with certain people, yeah. because I think, um, you know, the the ability to, like, if you're if you're a sociable person, um, and you're able to connect with this many people, it could also feel quite lonely. The fact that you know oh, yeah. you go from you you talk to these people, all these people know you, but they don't really know you. actually know you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel that. I feel you. And it, it's one of those things that I noticed in second year and then I'm trying to cultivate it in third year because it's important. 99.9% of people you meet here, you're never going to talk to again. Yeah. And St. Andrews, are you sure? Yeah. You see her around all the time. I mean... I after was, uni. Uh, yeah, after think, uni. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I would say yeah, after yeah. uni as well, but, like, I would say with me, I would say I know quite a lot of people at this uni, but in terms of the people that, like, know me, like, like really know me, I would say it's under 10. Like, mm. like I'd say you're one of the 10 that really does know me. I think that's, I think that's the irony of this town. So like, it's literally made for socialisation, but... Mm. It can also be an incredibly lonely place as well if you don't take the time to actually get to know people. Yeah, and what I find really frustrating, uh, and I guess what I'm trying to learn is, is, uh, I mean, this is twofold. Number one is, I've realised, and this is really important, is I'm a fucking slate. You're a fucking slate, and you're a fucking slate. So the people you let into your life, you need to be judicious. You can't be a social slut because motherfuckers are going to be bringing STIs in there. Yeah. You don't want that shit, you know? And it's a case of I've let so many people... I'm very open, as you can probably tell. And I've let so many people into my life. And not to say they're bad people, they're wonderful people. But they're immature or they're not at the level. And it's like you've got to be very conscious. It's also impossible to juggle. Like that many impossible, people. yeah. Like you, you just you just get so. Str- I mean, I, I I knew people in first year. I mean, everyone in first year is just like you're saying. Like everyone knows everyone. Everyone's meeting all these new people. It's sort of like an addiction. It's like a drug just to meet more and more people every day. But also, what that is that is that's fucking work. Like there's so, so much, much work. work. Like I knew someone that I'd barely see them because they were always, um, you know, someone I considered a friend. But they were always hanging out with another person, and they had coffee with this person and dinner with this person, and. They just that that just seems so bloody exhausting, and yeah. you never get to know all these people enough to the point where like they're actually a cl- close friend. It's just all these people that know you and that are friends with you. But I I, I don't think a real friendship comes from like it's, it's not forced. Like it just it just happens. Yeah. So if you're having to constantly you know arrange things, go and do this, go and do that, I don't think that that results in a strong friendship i don't know yeah 
Mm. Do you know? Does does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it it's does. It's about you don't have to make time for people that you're that that, that you want to hang out with. It's not about making time for them. But it, yeah. it also shouldn't be a stressful thing. Yeah, exactly. Socializing, it uh, shouldn't mate, be. It stresses me the fuck out. It, of it, course, it stresses me as well. I, I still think like, I oh, I, sh- I should be putting in effort with this person, and I should be doing this. I should be going to that. But I think for some reason, third year is like, I've kind of just taken a step back and mm. realized. I looked at the people that I have in my life mm. and thought. You know what? I'm going to put more effort into you. I'm going to ask you how you've been. I'm going to talk to you because you're the people that after these two, three years, I'm still speaking to. Mm-hmm. And this person that I thought, you know, I got on with well, I haven't spoke to in however many years. They haven't reached out to me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to speak to these people that are still around me, and I'm going to strengthen these relationships yes. because that's what's important. But I think it's it's similar in that, like, I mean, think of like you and me. Like, I don't spend loads of time at your house or you at my house. I mean, last time I went to yours was ages ago. But like, Man United, you got slapped up. I'm never going back there ever again in my life. <laughs> but I feel it's like people that you're close to, and I felt that in my third year, like I had to kind of like narrow the circle down of people that I let in, and it wasn't cutting anyone off. But it's like I couldn't, I personally, and Callum might disagree, but I, if I didn't see Callum for two weeks, I know that after two weeks we'd pick up right where we left off. But of course, like, hey, how you been? I was everything, but like. It's not like we have to make time and we have to set a date. Yeah. It's like I could literally just see him in the street and we could have a five minute catch up and it's like, you, what are you doing tomorrow, mate? Oh, sick, I'll, I'll see you then. You know, it's yeah. like, but it's like, it's not like, it's not, um, it's not like scheduling a meeting, you know? It's like, yeah. it's like, of course I'm going to like, yeah. I don't even think about it. That's mm. so true. That's what some socializing in St. Andrews is like. It seems like scheduling a meeting. You know, you, you ask, oh, when can you hang out? Sorry, no, I've got this at five, got this at, you know, after this, I've got something at half six and then I'm going out with these. I, I don't know. I feel like um, real friendship is like fl- it's like f- kind of fl- free-flowing. It happens, yeah. You know? It's mutual effort. I think that's what you're pointing to. So is. I um, I was thinking about that the other day. Like, I, I hate the phrase in this town, oh, yeah, we should get coffee. That pisses I, me the I fuck off. I say the whole time, yeah. It's a fucking bunch of, so it's it a bunch of bullshit. It is a bunch of bullshit. And uh, it's funny because you're talking about, like, mutual effort. I was talking to a mate that, you know, it's kind of mates that I, I see around and I say hi to. And I said to him, like, I had a really good chat with him. I said, listen, give me a text and we'll do something. And he did. He gave me a text. We hung out the next day. And he said a speci- he set a specific date and time. We did it. And because he put in the mutual effort, now, you know, we're close friends. Mm-hmm. Like, I see him often and we hang out. And, like, I just I just thought I, I, really, ex- I really respected the fact you put in the time and that you didn't just, you know, air what I said. You listened to what I said. Oh, he wants to hang out with me. He wants me to set a date and time. And he went out his way and did that. And now yeah. um, I'm closer to them because of that. Yeah. You know? So I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Like, it's mutual yeah. effort. I, and I think, you know, it's funny. The older I've got, the more I've realized connection doesn't make a good friend. Loyalty does. That's true. Yeah. I think like I, th- I think a mix of both, but definitely, like. definitely, you know, it's a case of. Uh, I don't know who's listening, so I'll say it's off air actually. Um, but uh, try not to. We'll just say try not to use names. We never know who's listening. So. Okay, well, so, I, I hope they're not listening. But I'm actually gonna have a chat with a with a with a good mate of mine, one of my best mates, about the fact that I just feel like he's not putting in a lot of effort. Yeah. I, I, I love the man, love him. And it's not coming from a deep place, but those conversations need to be had because 
fundamentally you deserve effort and that is the key thing it's those friends that that not only give you effort but a very important part of a friendship is give you grace yes give you grace if i can't like and i know she might be listening right now and obviously i'm gonna say a name but i had to have a conversation like that of a close friend recently Mm. and it was me saying and if she's listening right now i care about her incredibly deeply yeah same with my friend you know, I love them. <laughs> I don't mean that as an adjective. Yeah, I mean that as a verb. Like they've been through some very shit times. Yes, same. And I've been there. Well, yeah. every day. I had with 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 her. I was saying, you know, like I'm usually the one that always says, uh, "Can, we, can we hang out?" Yeah. And she was saying, I "Well, if you. it wasn't for you, I I'd just be rotting in my room all the time." So I'm grateful that you say, "Can we hang out?" And I said, "Yeah, well, I, I understand that. It's very sweet, but it also goes both ways." Mm. It does. It does go both ways. Yeah. As much as it's it's it gets you out your room, I I'd love to hear a, a yeah. even if it's just like a hey Appreciate can we hang out soon even if it's not like a it's like can we hang out soon it's like that's putting the effort and I yeah. still love them to death regardless of that like I feel you I love my mate to death sorry to interrupt Tom no that's fine but but it's a case of just feeling valued and I think going back to what Callum says it's like you know being popular and being famous by extension fucking waste your time. Because you got a bunch of people that don't really know you saying you're great. I don't give a fuck about your opinion, quite frankly. Especially as I get older, because I know who I am. All it is is an ego blowjob. I want people that value me. Yeah. I want people that say, I really appreciate you. And I think, like, people have different love languages, but it's funny, you know. People think I'm... I, a lot of friends have said to me, and uh, actually, one of my friends is... Yeah, and we'll get into that later. But, um, yeah, they don't clock that. Oh, they think, oh, Felix is so confident, X, Y, Z. He doesn't need me to tell him that he's a, the fucking shit. But I do. I do. Because I don't wheel around thinking I'm big boss, man. I don't think anyone does. And so it's really nice when a friend says to you, or when anyone says to you, thank you. I really appreciate the time we spent together. And you make a big impact on my life. Communication, bro. It's it's those, and I'm like, I'm like, people say, oh, I don't text you because you always think I'm, I always think you're busy. Fucking text me and find out. <laughs> exactly, I I completely agree with that. You know, do you think this is like a question of like emotional intelligence though? Because yeah, not 100%. everyone's most emotional intelligence is is at the same level. Yeah, because we're so young. I think that's key because we are so young. You know, and so the discrepancy is more pronounced. I mean, we 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 talked about this last week with uh, with Finley. Um, we had like a men's mental health episode. Mm. We sort of talked about how, like, toxic masculinity and just like the um, the the kind of confinements of masculinity oh, yeah. uh, hinder men's emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when I I think about myself like two years ago, I just like I had no emotional intelligence. I didn't know how to properly communicate with people. Mm. and uh, I think it's the most important thing mm. to learn quickly <clears throat> you know obviously as as a guy as a man um to to kind of accept your all these emotions and be be able to communicate them properly yeah you know? so um and and that helps you with your relationships with uh, massively you know, yeah with your romantic relationships with your friendships it just helps tremendously yeah i I'd, I had trouble with a friend um a few weeks ago and my response to it, and she's like one of the closest people I've ever had, was to like cut her off. And we've slowly gone back to being much, much better. And, 
you know, obviously it's not like a, you know, a, it's always a gray situation. You know, in my end, I thought there were some things I would have done quite wrong, and I still do. But I regret going to cut them off because that's like not it's not the thing to do. Talk yeah, about it, you know. Yeah, and then if they don't, I sorry to interrupt. No, it's you interrupt. Go ahead. But I think my step is communicate. If they don't listen to the communication, then you cut. If you communicate clearly, you know, uh, uh, I'm not sure how much it should be airing on air. But um, I had a friend of mine that, that crossed some serious boundaries. Uh, well, I mean, one of them, beside the point. But I have a friend of mine that, frankly, was just not being good. And um, going back to what you said about masculinity, quite a um, side note. But when I was dealing with disability, a lot of emotions there couldn't really talk about them. I remember I started crying and my dad was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I remember him coming out to my room and being like, can you shut the fuck up? Like, basically, uh, verbatim. And, um, yeah, so he, um, I remember, like, yeah, she really pissed me off and uh, I've had a love and hate relationship with endurance sport because I've, I've used it as a, as a quite a toxic coping mechanism. Like as a man, I'm like, oh, I'll row fifty miles, and by hour seven, I'm not feeling anything, mm. which isn't great. But I, I think a key part of communication, and that I've learned is like, you've got to have that coping mechanism that de-stresses you. Yeah. Uh, so I've had got a much better relationship with sport and athletics recently, and I just. I remember she. I woke up and I was pissed, and so I went in the gym for a couple hours, three or four hours, uh, and that works for me. It doesn't matter, it, and it's not a particularly like thing to be impressed by. It's just what I find helpful. But would you find like it's like a routine? Yeah. Like, like what I've been trying to do, and I'm I'm leaving my job at, at the union. Yeah. Is to really build a routine of obviously every day is different. You never know what day is going to bring. But the idea of like like a routine of waking up at some time, routine doing some things during doing some things that you know help you. So like the gym, yeah. which is something I'm trying to get back into. But for you, the gym, would you count that as like a routine that you well, need to have? I, I, I think, for, I think again, I want to stress, it's like you don't have to... Uh, you, you, people will listen to Jocko Wilkins and David Goggins. You don't have to be... Stay there. hard. Stay hard. Carry Who's going to carry the boats? Me, motherfucker. You know, <laughs> it's, like, it's like you don't have to be that guy. You don't. It's just, just find what works for you and because... Of, I think ma- majorly because of my disability. Like, that's what I gravitate towards. So, anyway, I, d- I did this. Yeah, uh, the gym's really helpful. So, I did this did this rowing thing, and it distressed me. And then I thought with clarity, and then I drafted a message. Read that message. Redrafted. Read that, redrafted. Reread that, redrafted. And um, sent it to her. And... Um, yeah, just realizing that, like, I miss her to this day. She hasn't responded to any of my texts. Um, uh, which, to be honest, is not my responsibility because I, I behaved pretty well. And I can say that because I'm, I know myself well enough. Yeah. But um, I miss her. And, and, and the other day I was like, oh, fuck, should I text her? No. And... I don't want to hang out with her, even though I love her. I think she's a wonderful person. Love that girl. Doesn't mean I want her in my life. Yeah. And that's a distinction that's quite difficult to make. 
just because you love someone and you think I th- still think she's great and will for, for the rest of my life but she's not ready to be the kind of friend that I need yeah. at the moment I mean I, I had that with a former flatmate um, she um, and not former flatmate because of anything bad it wasn't going to happen anyway mm. um, um, we there was a moment I was bad in mental health that I kind of put it all on her out of all my close friends she's the one that got it all and like really like like me like like getting like and a small thing would happen i get angry at her for it and it very much went our friendship from like incredibly close to really not yeah i see it we got five minutes of recording um and i yeah i i i i sort of like like with like she like we reached a boiling point and we just didn't talk for ages mm. and then we hung after the summer after the fringe um we were messaging each other like for the first time in a while she was like Let's hang out. And we went on a walk. When I say East Sands, I mean from the beginning of East Sands to the end of East Sands and back. That's long. And for like most of the chat was just about like life and everything. And then we walked back. I was like, I don't regret many things in my life, but I regret how I acted with you. And, yeah. and I know I will never like like fi- fix it, if we will. But I'm I'm now with time that has passed, I can say that. And she was like, that's all I've ever wanted you to say. Yeah. And, and now we're like, we're, we're, we're not back to where we were, but we're much, you know, we're, we're much closer. And honestly, Tom, She's not going to say it to me, but if she did, you know, it comes out to communication. It comes out to acknowledgement. It comes out to appreciation. Everything that Callum mentioned before, having that small group. A lot of it just comes from people being like, yeah, I'm sorry. Fucked up. Yeah. You can fuck up. Your close friends will allow you to fuck up. Just own up to it. That's that's very true. Have the confidence. Oh. You know? It's been a bit of an hour and we're going to have to stop. But I think it's every time we have Felix on the show, it just, we have so much to talk about. Like it never runs. There's some shows you have guests and uh, I've done this for two years where you feel like the conversation, like, like, like you, you're forcing it. Yeah. With Felix, it never seems to. Like time just flies by. Yeah. I think this is what like I want to try and do now on this show is like make sure I get really good speakers in. Yeah. Because last week, Finley was really, really good as well. Yeah. And obviously you're a really good uh, speaker as well. Oh, and it just makes you. our job so much easier. Oh, yeah. We have no notes. I don't know if you noticed today. There's no laptop. We have no notes. We have no notes. And usually what we do is we do like a rigorous preparation before, especially yeah. if it's someone we don't know, we do like rigorous preparation beforehand and have questions. We didn't even show. play my song. Well, that's because we're going to play it at the end of the show. Oh, fantastic. We had three songs queued up, but we have your song that's going to, uh, that we're going to um, end on. There we go. We're going to end. Oh, oh, no, don't stop. There we go. It's but if time. we can, just because the, the recording is going to shut automatically, um, before we say goodbye, what is this song that you're going to play for us? Uh, it's Chair Moy by a guy called Jordan Ward. He's up and coming in the R&B scene, and he's great. You should listen to his album. It's called Four Ward, and it's fantastic. Well, we're going to lead off with that. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. The podcast will be up on Spotify, Apple Music, and now YouTube, the Let Me Talk YouTube channel. And from the next show onwards, the YouTube, not... The one with Felix right now, but the one after that is going to be video as well. Wow. Yeah. So tune in for that. As always, Felix, thank you very much. And this one will go up on podcast apps. Come thank on. Thank you always for coming. Sorry. Thank you. And thank yeah, you so much. Come to Felix's comedy shows. And uh, he's a, you're a model as well. So Yeah, VS. Uh, um, we should have talked about that. Uh, well, we don't have time, sadly, because the recording's going to shut. But Callum, any parting thoughts? Uh, no. I mean, as always, m- pleasure to talk to you um thanks king likewise 
next time I see you in the street, if you're not surrounded by a million people like you usually are, I'll <laughs> make sure to say hi and yeah, ask I'd you how you are. I'd love that. That'd yeah. be great. Yeah. Right. That'd be fantastic. Callum, when I say bye-bye, can you please turn off all the colored sliders? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Let Me Talk. This has been Tom and Callum and Felix. And from all of us, good night. Bye-bye.